Good. Good day. Good morning. <laughs> well, people are watching at different times of day. Good evening. I'm thinking could it could be good afternoon. It could be good morning. It could be high. And I ended with good day. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Beyond Sunday, Joel and Rob's podcast. <laughs> oh, it's good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. We are finishing up our series on Q&A, question and answers. Yeah. And I've got a few for you. I've got a few for you. You've got one, you told me. I can come up with them. I've got like four. I'm just going to do a kind of a rapid fire with you. Well, I was told to come up with one. I know. And then I, I was right. And then you changed the rules on me. I didn't change the rules. I just added some. I, I realized one isn't enough. If I've got you in the hot seat, don't worry. It's all good stuff. It's all, put you in it's all good questions. All right. Um, but we also have something different today. With the Q&A, shooting out question requests, we also got a we also, song We have request. a song request. And so we do not know what this song is going to be. Not at all. Is it safe to assume it's a theme song? It's a theme TV song. TV show theme song. Can we ask... Can we ask... No, the genre? Okay. Yeah, we like to go no, genre. No, because Allison doesn't know what yeah, genre. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I've never even heard of this song. Allison's keeping quiet behind the camera. All right, let's hear it. Let's see what we got. I like the saxophone. sent that in fantastic well done and miller and miller, and miller. Well done, Ann miller. <laughs> good times uh what was the main guy's name well the eldest son i mean um something walker jimmy walker jimmy walker i don't know i don't know was it I that, think it that was, was a great song though oh my gosh it had some movement to it that's one of the I mean, best ones we've had it kind of just takes over your oh, body it kicks gilligan bit. island's butt yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Gilligan's still a classic. Oh, song. Gilligan's iconic. Oh, God. From a, but just, I mean, you know. Yeah. All right, let's jump. Yeah, in. Let's that jump was in a in. quality beginning. Q and A. I'm gonna put you on the hot seat. We're we're gonna begin with ours. We're not gonna begin with others. All right, fine. All right. Well, this one. This is a serious question. We're gonna wait for that one. This one right here. So I get to ask you the serious question. I like, this is for I both like of us. that. That's good. Okay. It's for both of us. Well, we're going to both answer that one. You, do you know what it is? Yeah. I have oh, no idea what it is. Wait he a was here second. Early. <laughs> Time out. Mm. Wait. What is your most outstanding childhood memory? I've got a lot. The question's asking for your most outstanding childhood memory. 
What is your most outstanding? I can't identify a most. Memory. There's no way I can identify. Well, a try most. and name one then. Uh, one that ju that just jumps to mind. Uh, Christmas mornings. Um, the day we got our dog. Mm. Um, mm. Being at my grandparents' house and my smelling my grandmother's homemade macaroni and cheese cooking. Oh, nice. Like, there's a lot. Yeah. Those are good. Yeah. I come back to um, seventh grade Little League, where I, of all teams, I was on the Orioles. Uh, we had finished fourth. We were seven and seven. And the first round, one game playoff to go to the finals, semifinals, we were playing the 14-0 Mets. And um, we jumped out to a big lead. And let me, let me pull back. So seventh grade, I, I have a late birthday, late August. So most of the guys in my grade um, couldn't play on – the majors, that what it was called for my age group that year. So they'd gone on. They couldn't play. So I actually was one of the best players on the team, which just was well, not. Well, don't want like that's a horrible thing. I'm sure you were a really good player. I was, I was an average player. I loved baseball. But I was not, in my grade, I was not one of the best players. But this year, oh, I was one of the best players. Uh, I played left field mainly. Well, first pace, pitched a little bit. We jumped out to a huge lead. And I remember being in left field, and there were three fields where we played, and people started to kind of get wind. You know, started this rumor started to build, because it was playoffs, that the Orioles were up on the Mets, who hadn't lost all year. And the Mets manager was our seventh grade science teacher, which added a little bit to it. And so we were up like eight to two. Um, and then the Mets started to come back, and um, <laughs> the d darkness started to descend. And it's like eight to seven, and um, the Mets have a guy on third. It's the bottom of the sixth inning, and the umpire calls the game for darkness, which gets the manager of the Mets. He was just it to be tied. What's the score at this point? Eight to, seven. Eight to seven. And so we win and go to the finals on the on the call of darkness. But it's this huge upset. And we're all like, how did this happen? How did we win? Uh, and we went on to the finals. We lost in a best out of three. Aww. But that game like, was just a, a, a highlight of... Uh, of my little league career, I was one of the best players on the team. We had a huge upset. We didn't like win the bomb at night. We lost <laughs> the call of darkness. <laughs> and yet, it's your most outstanding childhood memory. It's That's one of remarkable. Them. It always pops in my mind because it was. Um, you put a lot of stock into. It was great. That because it's also experience. the whole season, and I was yeah. I was a really good player in that team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were the leader of that. That was, was your team. I was. I was one of the yeah, leaders. Yeah. You know, which was great. Awesome. Yeah, little league. Gosh, it's been downhill since then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. You ready? No, Joel. That's stop. a that's a big one right there. Well, are we doing? 
Allison, you're the boss. What are we doing? Read it. Read, read it. this one. Read it. You guys can tag. It's for both it. of us. It's for both of you. Both of us. Here's a multi-part question. Where did the concept of hell come from? I can find very few references in the Bible, but it's mm. prominent in the Apostles' Creed, mm. where we say Jesus descended into hell. Mm. Has the idea of eternal damnation been disavowed in the Reformed Church? Mm. If you accept the idea of hell and damnation, how can that be reconciled with the idea of a loving, forgiving, just God? Mm. Can sins done during the brief flash of existence of a human life <laughs> really call mm. for eternal damnation mm. where would the justice be in that uh, what a great wow question. and whoever offered this question i i affirm you for it just because you are wrestling with a great Mm -hmm. uh, aspect of faith. Mm -hmm. um, what do we do with the concept of yeah. hell? I offered a sermon on it a couple of years ago when we were doing our We Make the Road by Walking mm -hmm. um, study because we got to a chapter on, it was titled Jesus and Hell. And I, mm -hmm. I dove into this concept um, a little bit. Um so, where do we want to start? Well, the first um, question is, where did the concept of hell come from? Yeah. Yeah. So, and the questioner is right. There are just a few references to it. It depends New, on how... In, in the New Testament. There yeah, are not a lot. Part of it depends on how you define hell. Yeah. And how, how the biblical interpreter you're reading uh, uses the word hell. Yeah. So, for example, there are times when Scripture says... Hades, um, and many people interpret that as hell, and yet other interpreters say, no, Hades was actually a literal place. Um, it was not a good place, but it was a literal place, um, and, you know, so there's, there's debate over whether, you know, when Scripture says Hades. Are they talking about this literal place, Hades, or are they talking about the concept of hell? So in biblical literature, excuse me, in biblical literature, there, there is debate among scholars even exactly what the Bible is talking about when it talks about hell. Yeah, and, and Hades can also be understood as a reference. Uh, it's, it's a holdover from Greek mythology. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a... And you preached on that. I did, yeah. And so... The word hell, the Greek word is Gehenna, which in a literal sense was this garbage dump right outside Jerusalem, the place where people, where, where there was, where, the, where it was kind of continuously on fire. It was burning. It, it that's was, what I was thinking. I, when I was thinking of Haiti, I was thinking of Gehenna. That's Gehenna. Thank, Gehenna. You. Yes. Thank you. I got that wrong. And so when, when the New Testament when they're often talking about hell, they're also talking about it in the present tense, mm -hmm. too. And we automatically go to the future tense when actually, in the scripture, it's more present tense. <clears throat> um, then you also have the... It's, it's not really found in the Jewish scriptures. Um, they have this idea of Sheol, which is this place that you go after you die. It's almost this kind of like in between place it almost has like this kind of purgatory place feeling to it that you find in, in catholic theology 
Um, but I think also what happened was when Dante wrote his famous book, Inferno, and the Seven Rings of Hell, the idea of hell, as we think about it today, got dragged through Dante's interpretation of it, which is of this place of immense torture and suffering and pain, where each level of Dante's Inferno is a, is a further kind of descent into um, suffering and pain. Yeah. When was that written? Uh, I think it's like 12th, 13th century, something yeah. like that, maybe 14th century. Yeah. And so that's where we get this idea of um, uh, the devil and torture and punishment and um, uh, this kind of eternal suffering yeah that is uh we just it's it's horrible to even think about yeah. you 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 wouldn't want to send your worst enemy, enemy there. there um and so <clears throat> i have mightily struggled with the concept of a literal hell <coughs> because it it drastically affects how you understand God. Mm -hmm. And it sets you up to inevitably fear God. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you ever... How do you ever get to a place where you truly love God if at the same time you are always fearing God? Fearing that God will send you and or a loved one to eternal like never-ending punishment well not just love how do you trust god if, if, your, if your faith is built on fear um you know can i can i trust this god who i fear might send me to an eternity of suffering um yeah that's a I could never give as good of an explanation as that. That was perfect. And again, correction on my Gehenna and Hades. Uh, Gehenna really was the literal place. So thank you for correcting that. The other thing that I, I would add to this is that the evangelical movement of the 20th century um, kind of grabbed onto this as well. And what has happened across the past 100 years in particular is the individualization of faith. Yeah. Right? So faith was really, Christianity, when you read scripture, it is, it is not about individual salvation. You know, uh, the church is not geared towards individuals. Uh, the mission of Jesus Christ is communal. Mm -hmm. It's global. It's about an expansion of the kingdom to incorporate more and more and more people. Um, and so uh, the goal is not, uh, I would argue really strongly, that the goal of the gospel is not individual salvation. The goal of the gospel is communal salvation. Mm. It's the spreading of the kingdom. So uh, 
the threat of hell and the individualization of faith really kind of go hand in hand where the purpose of the gospel according to some christian traditions isn't the spreading of the kingdom so much or the or the spreading of the good news to to all it is is jesus christ your lord and savior and if if so then you are quote unquote saved and I just have a very strong differing opinion against that, that it's not about are you personally saved? It is about the pursuit of the kingdom for each and for all. So in other words, God is not sitting there, you know, picking out yes, no, no, yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes, no, as far as who's in and who's out. It's, it's part of God's plan of redeeming the whole world. So when I, and it's taken me a long time to get here because when I went to seminary, the primary question on my mind that I really wanted answered is, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile the idea of a loving God with somebody who would send, say, you know, the poor African child who's going to die of hunger before their third birthday um, and never hear of Jesus Christ. How can a loving God send that child to hell um, as Christian the uh, many versions of Christian theology would teach, yeah. um, and uh, you know it's taken me about twenty five years to get to this point. Um, but I would say that I personally, personally now, do not believe in a literal hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that there are places of hell on earth, and that there are, there is certainly evil in the world. And that we are all capable of evil and we've all probably experienced a taste of hell in our lifetimes Uh, and that's traumatic and it's brutal and it's horrible Uh, but i don't believe that a god of love who sent god's own self in jesus christ to redeem the world um, is the kind of god who is going to send individuals to an eternity of suffering the other thing, really quick, I would add on to that is that the biblical literature, uh, where a lot of this is taken from, is also taken, you, you mentioned Dante's Inferno, it's mm-hmm. also taken from um, a literal interpretation of apocalyptic literature. Yeah. And so apocalyptic literature, the most famous books are Daniel and Revelation. These are, uh, the apocalypse is the end of the world, right? It's, well, it's really a revealing. It's, it's a, a revealing. It's a revealing is what the apocalypse is. But the church has kind of taken that and said, okay, it's the revealing of the end of the world is where kind of the church societally speaking In a literal has taken that. Yeah. And so, but what apocalyptic literature is really meant to do is to signify through symbols that something huge and world-changing is taking place. And the way apocalyptic literature does that is by using, you know, this painting these vivid scenes, these huge scenes with fire and horsemen and things descending in clouds from the sky, right? Yeah. Um, and people read into this, try, try and read into this literal kind of applications of, of things like a, a separating of heaven and earth and hell. Um, and uh, I would argue very, I, I think scholarship does a good job, not me, I think scholars do a great job of explaining that apocalyptic literature is not, is not to be interpreted literally. It is simply a sign that something hugely significant is going on here, and it's almost always written for communities that are oppressed. 
Mm. Um, apocalyptic literature is aimed at people who are suffering in the present, who actually know what a little bit of hell on earth is like. So apocalyptic literature, rather than saying you're going to go to hell, is actually written for people who are suffering then and now and giving them uh, a glimpse of the new life that God is still even now creating. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of why I don't believe in a literal hell. But the question is, how has the eternal has eternal damnation been disavowed in the Reformed tradition? No, it certainly hasn't. You can absolutely be Reformed and believe in a literal hell. Many, 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 many people do. Yeah. And we're not here telling you that you're wrong. Um, but we're here telling you that we just don't believe that ourselves. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And and again, affirming this question because mm-hmm. underneath this question is what is God like, and that's yeah. a great question mm. that we need to be consistently asking. What what uh, just struggled within me was why is Jesus advocating for forgiveness over and over again, yet? God's not capable yeah. of offering if that If you don't do this one thing, then you won't be forgiven. Yeah. Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive? Seven times enough? And Jesus says, no, it's 70 times seven, which okay. is his way of saying, you never stop forgiving. So Jesus says forgive, but God isn't capable of yeah. forgiving. And so that's where it started to break down for me. And then I heard this too, that... This is my Richard Rohr moment. I heard him ask this one time. He said, "If you picture someone that you love, and for whatever reason, they just never, never are able to say that right prayer or never connect with the life of faith or are in a moment where they're just not connecting, right? And they, you go to heaven and they don't. Will that ever be heaven for you? Oh my gosh. So well said. It is. It never will be heaven. You will never be in this, if heaven is this place where God is there and there is this immense love and joy and peace and community and, and you're not with your loved ones because they didn't do something, they didn't, they didn't do faith right. Whatever, however you want to describe it, that will never be heaven. Yeah. And that yep. floored me. That oh, that's floored so me. so powerful and so well said. Yeah. One one other point to raise up on this, because it's a big one too, I think, is a lot of people interpret scripture um, and, and, and the idea of hell from Jesus' language of eternal life. Um, and, the, and there's an assumption that, okay, if you don't do this, then you won't have eternal life or you'll be damned. Yep. Two things. Um... You can't assume the negative, right? You can't assume that just because you don't do A, then automatically you're sent to the opposite of A, right? But much more important than that is eternal life in Scripture does not mean heaven most of the time it's written. Occasionally it does. Not in the future tense. Right. Eternal life is not where do you go when you die, eternal life. Eternal life scripturally is a concept of fullness of life. What is eternal? In other words, what never ends? So when yeah. 
when Paul or when Jesus talk about eternal life, again, not every time, but most of the time, they're talking in the present tense. So it's that you may know eternal life is the language of Jesus, right? Do this that you may know eternal life. It is not so that you will know or so that once you die, you will know. It's so that you will know what is eternal, what is full, what is true, what has, you know, conceptually neither beginning nor end, like love, like grace, like peace. These are things that are eternal, according to Jesus. It's a good point. And I'll just one last point. And we can, well, we got to go on. But yeah. um, I, what you said earlier of how we hear certain phrases in the Bible like fire, and we automatically go to this concept of hell, you know, even though it's almost always a present tense description, right? So I'm. This week we have John the Baptist, and I'm thinking about my sermon for John the Baptist, and he talks about um, uh, um, gathering the wheat that's not to be used, and it goes to the un- it gets it gets the burned up, floor. the yeah. unquenchable fire. And I get to those texts, and I think about okay, do I need to make that note that he's just because there's fire, an unquenchable fire, it's not this. Um, it, this this connection to this idea of hell that Dante explored. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, it gets eliminated. He's, that doesn't mean it goes to hell. He, exactly. He's yeah. kind of making a point of it just is, uh, it's not fruitful. It, it's, it's, it doesn't have, it's not of use anymore. Um, and, and so it's, yeah. That points to just how these scriptures are ingrained in our kind of subconscious and yeah. and how why we need to talk about questions like this. Yep. We need to keep talking about them. Yeah. Um, we could keep going. We could keep going and we and we need to stop. We we need, we need so to for example, when you go, we have wheat on the threshing floor, this is really really quickly, the other thing that comes to mind is like we think we're separating people. But yes. what if we're separating those parts of ourselves? Exactly. Those broken places within us that need clearing. You know, I mean, th- there's just this assumption in 21st century Christianity that everything boils down to heaven and hell. Yes. And it just doesn't. It's frankly an abuse, in my opinion, <laughs> of the scriptural intention uh, of communal salvation. Yeah. Again, you know. Or, G- and what does salvation look like right now? Right now. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, that was one heck of a question. And we are rather verbose today. But it was a great question. And we actually would like to follow up on that question in a um, podcast soon to come. Yeah. Because um, that question leads to so many other questions. It does. And we're going we're gonna to come back to it. Um but we're also going to split this podcast into two podcasts. Yeah, because we took so long to answer the question. That we, um, we're going to come back uh, with another question with our uh, questions we're going to ask each other. each other. Yep. And, and a follow-up on, um, okay, so if we're not afraid of hell, then yes. Well, that's, what's the point of that's faith? That's two more podcasts. That's two more podcasts. First, we're going to just do our questions. Right. And then we're going to come back to that question. Yeah, we'll hit that again. Yes. Have a great day, everybody, and we will see you next time on Beyond Sunday. <laughs> What's so funny about that? That was done really well. <laughs>